Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. In every language, there are uh, certain uh, phrases, idioms, uh, things we say. I saw in the, the paper yesterday a whole article on where the, the phrase the jaywalking came from. And of course, today with the Internet, you can look up and see all sorts of uh, different uh, interpretations and histories of that. There are, there's another phrase in our language that you probably have heard, and that is when someone says to turn up your nose. And I've often wondered, you know, does that mean, you know, turn up your nose? Does it mean like this? What exactly does turn up your nose mean? You know, there are different ways of expressing uh, turn up your nose. Clipping, put that picture. You know, there's some different uh, people turning up their noses. Um, you know, you can scrunch your nose like this. You can go like that. You could go like this. You could go like that. Uh, that's not me down there in the corner, but I... <laughs> It does kind of look like me, doesn't it? Um, to turn up your nose. What is that? Where did that phrase come from? To turn up your nose at somebody. And, and what does that mean if, if I said to you, boy, that person really turned up their nose? And it's the idea of sort of a mockery, kind of a disgust. Uh, it's not a pleasant or a, or a positive thing. If, I, if someone said, wow, Pastor Jim really turned his nose up at me today, uh, that would not be something that, that you would be... Uh, Uh, really thrilled about hearing. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, as you open your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read our our text for today, our passage for today that we're going to be looking at. And uh, I'm going to look at verses 7 through 10. And as I read this, I'm going to ask you if you could maybe surmise, where do you think that phrase shows up in the original language, actually? You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And in the Greek language, this phrase actually does show up in this passage. Your translation may not say it per se, but let me read this to you. And then we will uh, talk about this this morning. And as I read this, you can think about that. Where where do you think that phrase, turn up your nose, uh, shows up here? But before we do, let's let's have a word of prayer. And as we pray before we read the scriptures, I don't do this just as a formality, but uh, I just want you to know that you know, our, our heart is, whoever is preaching and teaching from this pulpit, that you hear God's words. Uh, you know, my responsibility is to try to share, uh, instruct, but these are God's words. And that's what we want to we want to focus on today, because this is part of our worship service. When we read scripture, we teach scripture, we consider it, we are continuing to worship God through his words. So would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word uh, it is your word. We thank you for giving us your word, for allowing us to have it. We know that uh, we are so blessed to have such free access to it. We know we have brothers and sisters around the world today who uh, do not have access, who read your word, uh, carry your word, teach your word at great danger, a danger of their life, danger of jobs, uh, danger of uh, being excommunicated from communities, Uh, put their families in danger. And we do not take this lightly. And so we do pray as we open your word that your holy word would be heard, but also would impact my heart and the hearts of all living, listening today, that we would live uh, by your word as we walk with you this week. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 and verses 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now this passage written to the churches at Galatia, and I remind you that Galatia is an area in modern day Turkey, and there were probably a, a number of churches that received this epistle from the Apostle Paul as he wrote this to them, one of his earlier epistles. And as he writes to them, in, as he's coming toward the conclusion of this epistle, now we are in chapter 6, you'll notice that it, it does conclude at verse 18 of chapter 6. As we come toward the end of this epistle, Paul begins this section with sort of three, uh, one of the commentators used the term staccato, you know, staccato, kind of boom, 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 quick, uh, forceful, very um, pithy, sort of short, distinct statements. And so in the original language, it would kind of roll off the tongue and kind of like this. Uh, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Those are the three staccato statements that have to do with three principles of life that, that can apply three principles for our life that, that we can live by. These are things that are important to us. These are things that should be important to me as a pastor, as a, as a family member, as a friend, as a member of my community, and for you as well. These are very important, and these are, these are things that Paul is not just suggesting. He is telling us, do this. This is what we should do. These are from God, given to us. And these three principles, and the first one is, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. You know, it's interesting as you think about this, one of the greatest temptations or tendencies or faults I have as a human being because of my human nature is deception. Deception. I can be deceived externally from others. I can be self-deceived. I can deceive myself. And often, of course, the two go together. And as you look at the history of humanity and how Satan has worked, and you see how deception has come into play. After all, in the Garden of Eden, we clearly have that story so, so, so literally and clearly laid out in Genesis. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan did not come as a hideous, horrible-looking monster that frightened everybody, it says that, that the serpent was, was the most cunning, the most, we could say almost, some of your translations might say, most beautiful, most appealing at that time of all God's creatures. And when he came and, he, and, and when he approached Eve and he said, he said, did God really say that? Is that what he really said? Well, don't you know that if, that if you do this, this is what he's afraid of? This is what's going to happen? And he was deceptive. And, and Adam and Eve, they, and it was a deception by Satan. And you look throughout the Bible and you'll see this. You'll see this story over and over again of deception. The Bible tells us we are led away by the traction of our eyes and the, and the, and the lust of the flesh and the pride of our heart that we are deceived. Remember when, the, when, the, when Satan came and tempted the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Temptation? And, and of course, he tempted him for 40 days. I don't think he ever stopped tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but specifically the three temptations that are mentioned in the Gospels. All of them have to do with trying to deceive him. I can give you these things. You fall down and worship me. Throw yourself from this, because the Bible says this. And each time the Lord responded with, it is, it is written. And Satan, is, is, as you probably have heard, is the great deceiver. And the Bible says, don't be deceived. We are so vulnerable to this. I, I think, I mean, I look at my own life. I think that one of our human characteristics is we tend to think we're better than we are. We tend to think when, when something happens and you think of some of the things in your life that have caused the most difficulty, some of the habits, some of the things that you've been involved with that, that drag you down sometimes, oftentimes we, we approach these things, well, I'm different. It's not going to hurt me. I know that this can be dangerous to some people, but, but not me. I'm, I'm different. I'm, I'm stronger. I'm better. And we all have this tendency to think we're better than we are. And, and, and Paul says, listen, Galatians, listen, Christians, brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't let Satan deceive you. And then we come to the next, the next staccato uh, imperative phrase, instruction to the believers. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Now, these are strong statements. And I don't know if any of you caught it. Um, God cannot be mocked. This is the phrase in the Greek. It actually, in the Greek language, the word that's used here, uh, maitarizo, maitarizo comes from the word knows and to move. And literally, this is what it says in the Greek. I don't know if maybe that's where the saying came from. But that's what it literally says in the Greek language. It says here, don't turn up your nose to God. That's what it says. That's where the phrase comes from. Don't turn up your nose. God cannot be mocked. God is God. And there's nothing you can do to mock God and, and win. God cannot be mocked. And we actually see this in, in the Old Testament. This is the only place we're really going to find it in the New Testament. Now, there is a form of it, a stronger form, that's used when, uh, with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16, that they, when they mocked Jesus... They derided him. They turned up their nose at him. But in the Old Testament, we have a couple of, we have a couple of uh, statements. One is um, from, uh, from Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 17, where it says, God says, look at them, putting a branch to their nose, it says in the NIV translation. Well, if you look at it in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, it's this word, they're turning up their nose to, to God. Look at what they're doing, turning up their nose to God. And then we have also another phrase, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 4. The Lord scoffs at them. And this is where you can say God is mocking them, deriding them. And this is that stronger use of the word that actually in the New Testament Greek that is used of the Pharisees and Jesus. God cannot be mocked. And, and, and the Bible makes that very clear. You know, I look back over the, the Bible and I think of one of the clearest stories of of mockery of God is, is the story of, of Goliath. You remember that story? That every day uh, Goliath came out and, 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 and mocked the Israelites and mocked their God and, and, uh, and basically uh, defied, the, the Bible says he defied them, he defied God. And, and here comes David, the shepherd boy from Bethlehem, coming out to see his brothers. 
and this young boy, however old he was, teenager, um, not in the army, not a soldier, looks at this situation and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he is mocking, he is defying the living God? And, and, and he says, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. And of course, they all, David, you know, his brother says, you're just out here causing trouble. You know, and the question is, why wasn't David's brother willing to go fight him? He was the one that, that Samuel thought should have been king of Israel, right? Remember when they came? Eliab, ah, here's the king. But, but, but David says, who is this, this, this Gentile that mocks and defies the living God? And the Bible says that, that you cannot mock God. You cannot turn up your nose at God. So we're moving through these three statements. Don't be deceived. If you think, if you think you can, that you're different and that this applies to everybody else but you, you're mocking God. You're turning up your nose at God. And I thought about that this week. You know, there are things that come into our life that we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to choose to not do what God... It's clearly what God wants me to do. Clearly, if it's an issue of, of morality, of right or wrong, and God's put it in your heart that this is wrong and this is right, then you've got to decide, I'm going to do what's right or I'm going to do what's wrong. And if I choose to do what's wrong, I'm basically telling God... I'm mocking God. I'm turning my nose up to God and saying, that's fine for everybody else, but no, I, I know that, but I'm going to go this way. I'm mocking God. If God puts something in my path that he asked me to do, that I, it's clear that God wants me to do it. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You're not different. You're not the only one that can do this and it doesn't apply to. Don't be deceived. I think it was the Cotton Patch Gospel Maybe some of you have read sometimes. It's sort of a very vernacular, uh, pithy kind of uh, gospel. It's, you know, the cotton patch gospel. Don't let anyone pull the wool over your eyes. You can't turn up your nose against God. And that's, pretty, that's a pretty um, uh, expanded translation of this thought here. Don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. You can't turn your nose up at God. And then finally, where this is moving to is the third statement in this passage. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's where he is moving with this. This is where he is going. And this fits with the agricultural motifs or metaphors or stories that you find so often through the Bible. We just finished in Galatians chapter 5 a few weeks ago, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Remember we talked about that. The fruit of the Spirit. It's an agricultural metaphor. I have flowers in front of me today. We have flowers here. And, and we are reminded of, of, the, of the beauty of God's creation. Of, 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 the, of the florals and the trees and what God has, has given to us. And we see this. And you know, we farm and we plant and we take care of things. Even if you're a hobbyist gardener. Or you maybe you live in an apartment and you have a plant you take care of. I have a, I have a coffee plant at home. That my, it's my plant, but my wife takes care of it. And uh, I keep thinking I'm going to bring it to my office. And she reminds me, every time you bring it to your office, it dies because you don't take care of it. <laughs> but I'm waiting for the day that that coffee plant uh, grows up and has coffee beans. It's not going to happen. But, <laughs> but it would be fun, wouldn't it, to pick the coffee beet cherries off that plant um, you, you, have, you plant things. You have things. 
And you know about this. And this is a common theme. The Bible uses these common everyday experiences. I've told you before, Paul's favorite metaphors, from my perspective, are farming, athletics, and soldiering. Because these people lived in this world. I mean, they lived with you know, Roman soldiers all around them. I remember in our first trip to Israel, one of the things that just, you know, it just struck me, it was so obvious when you get off the plane in, in Tel Aviv and you, and, you, and you see soldiers everywhere with, with weapons. You know, here I see soldiers in the airport, I see soldiers downtown, but I don't see them very often carrying weapons. I mean, you walk around and there's, there's young girls the age of, you know, you guys here, 18 years old in the military carrying uh, Uzi machine guns, you know, everywhere. And that's the way it was in Paul's day. The soldiers were everywhere. This was an agricultural community while they lived in an urban area like Jerusalem and Ephesus, but it was an agriculture. They were much closer to that than we are. And athletics. Athletics was very, very popular, very important. We all know about the Olympics from the Greek world and so on. And this, these are Paul's favorite metaphors. These are very down-to-earth things that you and I can respond to even today and relate to. And Paul says this, what you reap is what you're going to sow. And notice how he expands upon this, because this is the, where he's going with this. The person, the one who sows, that is, plants, fertilizes, waters, puts it in the ground, the one who does this to please, to please his sinful nature, or we could say really it's the flesh. This is really the, what the idea here is, the, the flesh, meaning that the Bible, Paul clearly talks about the flesh and the spirit. You cannot cut me apart, uh, you know, but, but there is something about the flesh where sin resides. You know, that's going to be the difference between now and in the resurrection. I'm going to have a body that is like the Lord Jesus Christ, without sin. It's going to be me, but it's going to be different. I'm going to have a spiritual body, and so are you if you know Christ. And that spiritual body is going to be without sin. We, but in this, our human experience, we are still in the flesh. And there's something about the flesh where sin resides. And Paul says, if you sow to please the flesh, if your whole goal in life is to please yourself, to do what's best for you in the sense of, 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 of pleasing the sinful nature, from that nature, you will reap destruction. You will harvest destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, and I think here it's the Holy Spirit. I think our translations are right to capitalize that. It's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit indwells me and indwells you if you know Christ the Savior. And if you sow and nurture your life to please the Holy Spirit, from that Holy Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Another example from nature, just as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you know, it's coming up here not too long in the spring. One of the annual events in our northwest area is the Tulip Festival. I mean, have you ever been up to the Tulip Festival and seen the tulips? Yeah. If you go to Michigan, in Holland, Michigan, which is sort of uh, west of Grand Rapids, a little southwest of Grand Rapids, at uh, Holland, you can imagine, they have the Tulip Festival there as well. Um, and in the Dutch communities especially, this was something that was very much part of their, their culture. If, you, if someone came from out of town and you wanted to take them up to see, like we used to have relatives from Wisconsin that would come out and they always wanted to go up to the, because they used to live here, they wanted to go up to the Tulip Festival. We'd go up to Gene and Lily and up to Teresa's dad and uncle 
up to see the, the tulips. And you've, you've seen that. You go up there and you see these fields and fields of beautiful tulips. Different colors. Sometimes mixed in. Sometimes distinct varieties. And, I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful on a nice day, especially to see these fields and fields of tulips that somebody has planted and cared for and with the idea that when a certain spring time comes, these tulips are going to come to fruition. They're going to come to harvest. And if you were to go up there later on this summer, like in August or September and drive in the same area, you're not going to see them. But there's a harvest time. But you have to plant tulips to get there. I remember when we moved to Minneapolis and coming from Seattle, we didn't realize when we bought our house back there and, and that our neighbors, you had to dig up your tulips and stuff there. They didn't survive the winter. I think that's what it was when the tulips, no, Jesus shaking her head. Okay, well, never mind. It was something we, did, something we dug up that, had, that didn't survive um, because of the hard winters there. But, but the tulip fields. Now listen, if, if your friends came from Wisconsin... Montana, California, and they wanted to go up with you and see those beautiful tulip fields of Mount Vernon, and you packed in the car, you drove up to Mount Vernon, and you drove through the fields, and they saw this, what would you think? And they, and they saw a field full of thistles, weeds. Now, some people might like thistles you know, and weeds. Um, they must serve their place you know, in God's creation. But it would be a little disappointing if you went up there and found out that instead of planting tulips this year, somebody decided to plant weeds. Because when it comes time, that's what you're going to see. When the harvest comes, it's going to be weeds. What if it was corn? Corn is wonderful. Corn is a, a supplement. Corn is a, is, a, is, a, is a cash crop. But you would not go to Mount Vernon to see fields of corn. That's not why you go there. You go there to see the tulips. And so it, it's, it's what you've planted. And this, isn't, this, isn't this so simple and so true? Does anybody not get this? Does anybody not get this? Do we not get this in our own life? Can we not look at our own lives and say, yeah, I, I know what he's saying. I, I get it. I've been there. I am there. I know what he's talking about. When I have chosen in my life to commit my, my activities, my mind, my eyes, my energies, to doing things that I know God says, don't do those. Thou shalt not steal. That shalt not look upon another woman. You, Jesus said you've committed adultery. Thou shalt not slander and lie. But, but, but if I, you shouldn't be greedy. Paul says in, in, in greed, which is idolatry, don't do that. And I have a choice. I have a choice to covet and be greedy. I have a choice to tell a half-truth or tell the full truth. And we all know this. And we repeat that behavior. We repeat, we repeat that behavior. And what happens? It becomes easier to tell the half-truth to the point where we no longer know what the truth is. And you know, the old metaphor, the frog in the kettle, where you just become so used to it. And, and Paul says, if this is what you do, it's, this is not difficult to understand. If you sow to the flesh, this is what you will reap. It's, that, it's going to happen. If you sow, sow to the Spirit, you will reap the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a whole other study here, of course, 
And that is, as I mentioned before, our church, we do teach the doctrine, the, the, the Christian teaching of eternal security. We believe that when a person is genuinely saved, if they're genuinely saved, we had a good discussion in our membership class about this morning, that they are sealed by the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. Is Paul talking here about a works-based salvation? So many of the commentators made the point and, and described it, looking at the all of the Bible. We don't, you know, we don't build our any one particular Christian teaching off one verse or one passage. We look at it in what it says in all the Scripture. And the Bible clearly teaches that those who know Christ as Savior, the normal thing is there should be fruit in their life. And if, if my life is lived such a way that all you see, if all you saw in my life is, is the fruit of the flesh, if all you saw were the weeds when it comes to what God wants, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. We don't teach sinless perfection either at our church. But if that's all you saw was nothing that, that corresponded to the gospel, to the letters given to us, the church, the body of Christ, to tell us if you didn't see anything, you would have a right to say, well, well Jim, do you, do, you, do you really know Christ the Savior? This is not normal. This is not normal. And genuine faith produces good works. Paul makes that very clear in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10, that we are, we, we are created unto good works, that God has ordained that we walk, we walk in those things. But as a Christian, I know this is true in my life as well, this principle that while, while my eternal security is sealed in the Holy Spirit, I could choose in my life to live such a way that I am I'm going to reap what I sow. It's, it's, a, it's a consequence. It's a consequence. It is the natural consequences. Paul says, don't be deceived. You are not different. God cannot be mocked. If, if you think... That, that you're so different, that you can be a Christian and sow to your flesh and you're not going to reap the consequences of that, you're mocking God. You're, you're mocking God. And we've all done that. I've done that. It's part of our human tendency. <laughs> Don't do it. Because if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap the Spirit. You will reap the fruit or the harvest. Which is what we all want. This, I know this is what you want. You want in your lives, if you know Christ as Savior, you want your life. You know, I, I have opportunities, Pastor. I've, I've conducted so many memorial services. So many funerals. I mean, that, that's, that's part, and it's one, of the, it's one of the joys of being a pastor, really, to, be, to come alongside people in, these, in difficult times, and yet to, to have that experience to, to reflect back on a life, a life that, that really changed lives that impacted others and it's it's a it's a blessing as hard as it is it's a blessing last week you know to, to dedicate children to help share in christian marriages funerals important events in people's lives anniversaries to walk with you through your your life uh, this is a blessing and to share in a life that 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 it, that it, that it, it shows fruit it shows results it's a wonderful blessing, my friends. Not perfection, but it is possible. It is possible to live a life pleasing to God that shows and evidences the harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. You reap what you sow. You know, when we, when we, look, when we talk about this, 
We come to the next verse. We come to this next verse. So the result of this, Paul says, look, here's the result. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. We're back to the harvest principle. For at the proper time, and this word is used throughout the New Testament. You know, we saw it earlier in Galatians that, that, the, that when, when, the, when the proper time came, kairos, time, when that proper time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. When that proper time came. In Timothy, Paul talks about the proper time, that God has a set time. And the Bible says this, don't become weary, don't faint. Don't become faint, that's what the idea is, in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now listen, it's simple. Doing good. You know the difference between good and bad. You know the things in your life that God has placed in front of you that are good things to do. These are good things. These are the right things. The Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit which enlightens you and, and, and helps you understand. We all have the Holy Spirit as the family of God, the children of God, that tells us that he, you know I know what God wants me to do. I, I know that when we talk about God's will, sometimes there are key decisions and we have to come to a point. Do I take this job or not? Do I move here or not? Do I marry this person or not? Do I make this decision? Do I purchase this or not? And we seek God's will. But in the daily little things of life, if we are doing what God wants us to do, he will, it will fall into place. It will fall into place. He will, he will make, he's not playing games with us. God wants the best for us. Don't get weary in doing good. Do you ever get tired of being good? <laughs> huh? Isn't it sometimes just easier to be bad? <laughs> Isn't it easier sometimes to just say, you know what, I'm tired, I don't care, I'm just I'm going to do what I want, I deserve it. I'm not going to keep doing this for, for these people, I'm not going to keep loving this person, I'm not going to keep hoping this person is going to change. I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to keep working. I'm not going to keep being honest. The people I'm working with, they're not being honest, and yet they keep moving forward. They keep making more money. And sometimes being honest costs me money, costs me friends, costs me privileges. It's just sometimes you get to the point where you just get tired of doing good. Parents, I'm at the other end of that cycle now. My kids are all grown. They all have their own children. I have 11 grandchildren. And... Yeah, I know, I know what it's like. Uh, you know, raising children, making decisions, doing things, doing things. You know, raising, it doesn't matter what age they are. Young children. Sometimes, sometimes you, you, you know, it, it gets tiring, doesn't it, sometimes, to always be doing, giving, giving, doing good. Uh, children, young people, sometimes you get tired of, of, of doing good, of trying to be good. And you, and you see your friends and other people doing things that aren't good and thinking, I can do that too. Why? You get tired of it. Let's face it. Let's be honest. Paul says, don't do it. Don't get tired. Now, when I was in high school, I played sports. I played football, basketball, and track at Lincoln High School. Any Lincoln graduates here? Man, that's not very many. How many Ballard graduates we got here? Ooh, okay. Well, Lincoln, <coughs> we might even have some Roosevelt graduates. I went to Lincoln High School. I played football, basketball, and track. I was a lineman in football. I was an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. 
I played both ways. I played the whole game. The only time I got a break was on the kickoff team. And we weren't very good either. <laughs> we, we were like, um, we played the undisputed worst team in the league the first game of the year, and we tied them. <laughs> and we lost every game after that. <laughs> and we played Ingraham High School, and Tony Gasparovich was the coach there. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and uh, uh, we came in at halftime, and it was 32 to nothing, and our coach gave us a pep talk and a speech and says, if you guys don't get out there, when this game gets over, it's going to be 62 to nothing. Guess what the score was in the game? 62 to nothing. <laughs> and our fullback came up and said, well, coach, we did it. <laughs> he said, <laughs> so, so as a lineman, uh, one time we had to run around Green Lake. Any of you ever run around Green Lake? Have you? How many of you walked around Green Lake? How many of you know where Green Lake is? <laughs> okay. Teresa and I walked around Green Lake a couple times the past two weeks. With not as often as we should, we live right down there by Green Lake, a few blocks away. Um, and I had, to, I had to run around Green Lake one time with the, with the linemen, the tackles, guards, and centers. And I'll never forget that. <clears throat> Ran around Green Lake, and it was the hardest. I can remember, I don't get it, uh, Michael. I don't get it, people like you that like cross-country and stuff, you know. Uh, you know, God's all give me this, it's all different. I don't get that running. How many miles do you run when you like to run? Five to ten miles, okay? Green Lake is, that's like running from here to my house and partway back. <laughs> Green Lake is 2.8 miles around the track. And I got about .8 miles, and I was just dying. And so was the, so was the left tackle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, can, I can just remember my legs feeling like cement. I just, it was terrible. I thought, I've only got, and you know what the problem is? I did it, I did it again later on in track season. Because I, in track season, you know what I did in track season? Shot put. And we didn't have to run. And I chose that because we had to lift weights. We didn't have to run. I did not like running. The funny thing is, in basketball, I could run up and down the court a hundred times. And I never felt that way. I mean, we get tired. But I never felt like, when's this going to be over? My, in fact, not that many years ago, I was still playing with the hang time kids out here in the gym. And... Uh, I want to get out in the court again. I, I'm, I'm ready to get out there again. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. And, uh, you know, I, I want to play a little bit again. But I, if I were to go out there today, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be out of breath. I'm not in good shape. But I know I could run up and down that gym multiple times because it's fun and because I enjoy it. And you know what? All I'm looking at is not maybe from here to Chuck to the, to the basket. And I know that's where I'm going. And when I come back, I know I'm coming to here. My problem going around Green Lake, you know what it was? The problem was, I kept looking at the aqua theater. We started at the aqua theater. We ran sort of east, northeast. And about 0.8 miles around there, I kept looking at how far that aqua theater was. <laughs> and as I got toward East Green Lake, and then as I got toward the, what we call the kiddie pool, you know, over there, and I could look over there and see how far I had to go mentally, I was just dying. I was just dying. I ran around it as a shot putter. And somebody suggested, don't, don't look at anything except the next 10 yards. I just kept looking ahead of me. Enjoyed the trees, the other people going by, the dogs, the lake. And you know what? Before I knew it, I was heading to the aqua theater. I made it. I was tired still, <laughs> but I made it. Because 
my point is, that's, that's why I thought, well, why can I play basketball? I can run three miles in basketball and not feel that way. Because I'm just playing at that basket. And I'm coming back to this basket. We're making this play. We're doing this. It's fun. I enjoy it. This is what I'm doing. But if I were to lay out 20 basketball courts or 50 basketball courts and look at the end, for me, that would be really hard. You know what I'm saying? Paul is telling us, stay focused. Listen, there are, there are things in life we have to take the long view of. But there are things that, that are in your life right now. Parenting, work, caring for someone else's health, teaching or leading. Yes, there's a proper time to stop. And God will let you know. And I don't want anybody to ever feel guilty about when God tells them it's time to step aside from this ministry or this role, take a rest, do something different. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But if God has put it in your heart that this is your call right now, focus on today. Focus on the next little bit. Stay focused on doing good. And God will help you. God will come alongside. That was a beautiful song uh, we sang this morning, you guys, that you led the choir in. God will come alongside, call you home. He'll, he'll, he'll be right there with you to take the next step. And at the proper time, there will be a harvest. the proper time, there will be a harvest. Phyllis just came back from Ghana. Talked to Dave and Gretchen Peterson the other day about Nigeria. I felt kind of bad. I kind of brought them bad news they hadn't heard about some area. But think about those kids you worked with in Nigeria. Think about the kids in Ghana. Uh, you helped plant, nurtured, watered, but someone else has got to take care of it now. You're not there. But you know what? And that faithful ministry, and that's just an example of all, all kinds of ministries... There will come a time that those little children are going to grow up to be strong Christian adult leaders, just like our kids are growing up to be, and will have an impact on their culture for God. Because faithful servants, planted, watered, nurtured, and put it in God's care. It doesn't matter, frankly, if you or I see the harvest. I'd like to see it. That's not what's important. What's important is I don't get weary in doing good. So finally, we'll, let me close by just reading verse 10. This is a powerful verse. Let's look at this. This is really powerful. Therefore, as you have opportunity, as the proper time comes, and it will come this week, it will come today, it will come next week, when the proper time comes, look what Paul says. Listen, this is a tall order. Let us do good to who? Come on, say it. Who? All people. Do you believe that? No, you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to pick this people because these people look different or seem different or come from a different culture or have different values. That's not what he says. He is living in the Greco-Roman pagan world. And Paul says, you do good to all people. So when he says, don't get tired of doing good, keep planting, keep doing what God wants, he's, you do it for all people. 
and especially in the household of faith. Because those all people are looking at us to see, are they really a family? Do they really practice what they preach in their own family, in their own household? Listen, friends, this is powerful. This is, this is life-changing. If we really grasp this and grab a hold of this, that this is what God has called us to do. And what will keep us from doing it is deception, quitting and giving up, before God's called us to, when God calls you to, then that's time. That's not what I'm talking about. But when it's still in front of you and God says, no, I still got this for you. And, and you know the third thing I think that really keeps us from doing it? Is fear. You know what we're all afraid of? I'll be honest with you. You know what we're afraid of? I'm 61 years old. Some of you are older than me. And you know what? The, the, the older we are, the more we realize how much of our life we wasted. <laughs> you know what? I'm a pastor. But I can look back at my life, and that's one of our fears. Is And, and we have a fear that we say, you know what? Um, man, if I could have only, looking back now, if I could have only combined the wisdom of age and the energy of youth and put those two together, but that God doesn't let you do that. <laughs> you might have noticed that. But listen... Well, I think what keeps us back is we're afraid that it's, it's, it's too late to really give ourselves to God and, and to do this. And I want to remind you what, what, what we sang about earlier, that, that wonderful passage that, that Gary had us read today from Psalm 103. I, it was impacted when I was reading Hosea, when we were studying Hosea on Wednesday night. Where in the book of Hosea, where there's this terrible, terrible sin after sin after sin after sin, and God says, but listen, Israel, can I forget you? Could I not ever love you? If you return, I'm here. And sometimes we're afraid that it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's too late, but I want to tell you, we worship a God of new beginnings. And I don't care where you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ today. I don't care where you are. If God has placed it on your heart to do good, do it. There will be harvest. You believe that? There you believe that. There will be harvest. It is not too late. It is not too late for God to use you to bring a wonderful harvest in the lives of others if you faithfully serve Him. Gary, come and lead us in our closing song. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for a closing prayer. As we do so, I want to remind you of the Apostle Paul and what he said. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach out to those things which are ahead of me. That Christ, Christ Jesus, has called me to. He has set before me. I'm paraphrasing. God has set before you something. And I want to encourage you today, my friends. We can forget those things which are behind. We've learned from them. Some were great. Some were good. Some were mistakes. We already read this morning from God's Word, as far as the East is from the West, so far as He removed our sins and transgressions. We're either forgiven or we're not forgiven. And we have today. That's all we have is today. 
And I want to encourage you, friends, wherever you are in your walk, whatever age you are, whatever you've been through, you know Christ is Savior. You have today. Find the good. Seek the good. And do it. And do it tomorrow and the next day. And let God bring the harvest in His time. Don't give up. Don't be deceived. Don't mock God. As a family of believers, let's move ahead and do the good that God has for us. We leave this place in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, paid for our sins, brought us eternal life. We have the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that goes with us out these doors today to empower us and to enlighten us to know the good and to do it. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.